0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Around the World podcast. I am your host. That's me, Clark Van Deventer. Uh, this podcast is based on my, yes, spectacularly popular weekly class on OutSchool, Around the World with Mr. Clark. You can find it on OutSchool. Just go to OutSchool.com and search for Around the World with Mr. Clark or search my name. That's Clark Van Deventer. Uh, this class on OutSchool is designed for kids who are, say, uh, nine-ish to 14-ish. Depending on maturity levels. Uh, and this podcast, I started this podcast because I found that every week, all week long, whether I was going to a business meeting or I was meeting a friend for coffee, I found myself telling stories about cool stuff I was discovering each week as I guide my students around the world. And so that's how this podcast was born. Uh, this week in class, we were in Japan. Uh, fun week. Uh, and it was a very popular uh, class with the kids this week. You could just tell they were into it. They they knew enough about Japan going into it to be excited. Um, they really loved um, preparing for and learning about Japan this week. Uh, every week at the beginning of class, I have a collaborative board up where students can post different things. So I'll just say like, uh, post something you think of when you when you hear Japan. Right. And this week we had sumo wrestlers and we had sushi and we had Mount Fuji um, and we had the fish markets and we had students posting about how huge Tokyo is. So they they came into class knowing quite a bit. Um, Also interesting, kids know where Japan is. Right. So every week. Right. We have a map. I share a map with them and they're able to circle. Right. This is all web based. They're able to circle. I say circle. Where's Japan? And they circle it, right? And I always tell the kids, "Hey, if you don't know where it is, circle the region. Um, but this week, most of the kids, not all, but most of the kids, they just they, they knew where Japan was. Their circle was perfect. So that's just an interesting fact. If you're ever curious, hey, does the average ten year old know where Japan is? Well, the average ten year old taking around the world with Mr. Clark does. Um, it was also fun this week because I had one student who, was well, his mother was born in Japan, and he lives in the United States now. His mother was born in Japan. He's been to Japan twice, and so it was really fun to have him in class and and have him contribute. We also looked at a waterfall in class that he had been to. That was pretty cool. Uh, two of my students are studying Japanese, and so it was fun to have them uh, speak a little Japanese for us in class and to correct a little bit of my. Japanese pronunciation. All right, all fun stuff. Um, The number 6,852 started out this week by asking the students if they knew what that number represented. What? Okay, let me ask you that question. If I say the number 6,852, do you know what that number represents in relation to Japan? By the way, it's a super easy number to remember because... 6,852. As long as you can remember it's in the 6,000s, 8,5,2 goes down the center of a numeric keyboard. 6,852 are the number of islands that make up Japan. Four main islands, but a total of 6,852 islands. About 125 million people. That would make Japan the 11th most populous country in the world. And, of course, Tokyo, the capital, which is technically one of two capitals. Technically, both Kyoto is like a western capital and Tokyo is like an eastern capital. But Tokyo is the capital that we recognize, like, right, like internationally is recognized as the capital. Um, Tokyo is not only the capital, it is the largest metropolitan area in the world more people live in the tokyo metropolitan area than any other city in the world about are you ready for this are you ready for this number it's a big number about 40 million people live in the tokyo metro area so just a little comparison here i love doing this with the kids um Just a little comparison. More people live in Tokyo than live in the entire country of Canada. (laughs) Okay. Um, Now, more people live in the state of California than live in Canada. Which is kind of a fun little fact. More people live in California than live in Canada. But still, more people live in Tokyo than live in California. Uh, Having just moved to the south having conversation with people here in the south right so people in california talking to people in california it's like hey more people live in tokyo than live in our entire state back when i lived in california but now i live in the south roll tide y'all if you combine alabama georgia mississippi louisiana arkansas tennessee kentucky and west virginia that's eight states right there alabama georgia mississippi louisiana arkansas tennessee kentucky West Virginia, just go to a map and look at how much real estate Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and West Virginia take up. Well, those eight states combined do not equal the population of Tokyo. It's just mind-boggling. And by the way, Tokyo and Japan, economic powerhouse Uh, Third biggest economy in the world by GDP, Um, number one being the United States, number two being China, number three being Japan. All right, so let's talk about Hirohito. Hirohito, Emperor Hirohito was one of our people this week, all right? Because this is when Japan, it's during his reign that Japan goes through this massive transformation where it becomes an economic powerhouse. By the way, we looked at VR this week of Hiroshima we looked at pictures of Hiroshima and looked at what Hiroshima looked like in 1945 after the atomic bombs and looked at, at Hiroshima in VR and what it looks like today. It's just astounding to see a city leveled, right? And then what, uh, 70 years later, this beautiful, vibrant city. So it's under the reign of uh, Hirohita that, that this economic, massive economic growth takes place. But think about Emperor Hirohito, who, gosh, what year was Emperor Hirohito born? Early 20th century? Um, He becomes emperor, I think, in 1926. Uh, 1921, he visited Europe as the crown prince. So in 1921, when he visited Europe as the crown prince, he was the first crown prince or, or royal member of the royal family. No emperor had gone before him. He's the first crown prince to ever visit Europe. That's 1921. Um, So Emperor Hirohito, in his lifetime, by the way, he's he's considered divinity. Um, and in Jap- in Japanese culture at this time, there would have been, um, what's referred to as as Kocho. It means the Imperial Way, which is kind of like the Manifest Destiny. If you want to compare it to the United States, if you're familiar with the concept of Manifest Destiny, the Imperial Way is kind of like this concept of Manifest Destiny. And if the Emperor is divine, doesn't it make sense? Like, if, like Think about it for a second. If you believe the Emperor is divine, Don't you kind of want the whole world to come under the dominion of the emperor? Right. And so there's this, this imperial way, this sense of manifest destiny and emperor Hirohito will preside over the invasion of China. He'll preside over the, uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, and then eventually the surrender to the allies. Um, and then, all right, so this is Emperor Hirohito. This is all Emperor Hirohito, right? Invasion of Japan, uh, attack of Pearl Harbor. And he's not just like off to the side. He's not an innocent bystander in this stuff. Uh, some Sometimes you read history and you it makes it sound like um, like the military powers were in control and he was just kind of off to the side. That's not exactly true. Uh, for the reason being, the the reason he's now portrayed that way in in some cases is honestly after World War II, the Allies viewed Emperor Hirohito as a as a useful tool for reform. Right, it was like if if they kept him in power, he could he could help reform Japan. Just like annihilating him and sending him to a, on trial for war crimes. And and removing him from power, it it would have been harder to have reformed Japan. And so he was sort of viewed as a useful tool. And after World War II, he actually renounces his, his claims to divinity. But um by the time he dies in 1989, right? Think about the way the world's changed. 1945. He's he's right, come off an invasion of China. He's now he's come off a a World War, being allies with Adolf Hitler in World War II. And by 1989, the United States and Japan are like best buddies. Japan is a major trade partner with the United States. And Japan has grown into what it is today, which is the third largest economy in the world. Um so condo, condo, that's the that's the phrase um, that also came up in class this week, Spark joy. Um, I was another one of our people this week. Um, you guys know Marie Kondo, right Spark joy, uh, her show on Netflix. She is the um, person who is famous for decluttering and um, organizing. So we watched we watched like the ninety second trailer to Marie Kondo's show on Netflix and I asked the students afterwards if they needed Marie Kondo to come over to their house. Most of the students said yes. Uh, and she was our winner this week, right? So every week in class, I had the students vote. If you could have lunch with one of these people, who would it be? And Marie Kondo was our winner this week. She got about 45% of the vote. Um, we looked in VR at some Buddhist and Shinto temples. Of all my students this week, I asked the question: "What do you guys know? What the predominant religion is in in um, Japan?" Only one student was able to uh, identify as Shinto. About eighty percent of Japanese people identify as Shinto, but this is kind of a complicated question because if you ask me, what's the predominant religion of Of Japan, Shinto is the answer, but Shinto is kind of not a religion. Um, Japanese people don't necessarily think of Shintoism as a religion; it's more like a way of thinking. If you Google, uh, I just Googled religion in Japan, and and this is what Google tells me from Wikipedia: it says religion in Japan is manifested primarily in Shinto and in Buddhism the two main faiths which japanese people often practice simultaneously according to estimates as many as 80% of the populace follow shinto rituals to some degree now if you dig into this further from bbc we get because ritual rather than belief is at the art of is at the heart of shinto japanese people don't usually think of shinto specifically as a religion It's simply an aspect of Japanese life. This has enabled Shinto to coexist happily with Buddhism for centuries. All right, now if you try to figure out what are the central beliefs of Shintoism, um, importance of purity, harmony, respect for nature, family respect, subordination of the individual before the group, right? So these are core Um, beliefs or core values or core ways of thinking that we would associate with the Shinto faith or the Shinto religion or Shintoism or the Shinto philosophy, whatever it is. Um, Which, by the way, to me sounds a lot like Japanese culture. Importance of purity, harmony, respect for nature, family respect, subordination of the individual before the group. These sound like Japanese values to me. So write this This indicates the degree to which Shintoism has influenced Japanese culture. Uh, It was also interesting. One of my students was like, what does that mean? Subordination of the individual before the group. And we just talked a little bit about Western culture versus Eastern culture and how um, Western culture very much elevates the individual, right? And Eastern culture tends to be a little bit more um, collective in its thinking. Collectivism will be much more common Uh, lots of other fun stuff Um, Japanese vending machines you can get anything from a Japanese vending machine and if you're getting candy from a Japanese vending machine it's going to be way more fun than the candy you get in the United States our candy in the United States is just boring compared to candy in Japan like 300 flavors of Kit Kats that's just one example Right, like wasabi flavored Kit Kats, <laughs> uh, sp- all kinds of spicy flavored Kit Kats. Um, there's strawberry flavored Kit Kats, uh, green tea, dark chocolate, baked potato, fruit parfait, and and three hundred other flavors of Kit Kats. Um, talked about square watermelons, which are relatively easy to grow from what I understand. Square watermelons. Uh, we looked at tons of crazy VR from Tokyo and just how crowded it is. Supposedly the busiest crosswalk in the world is in Tokyo, which anytime can have more than 2,000 people on it. Capsule hotels, smart toilets. Of course, we talked about Mount Fuji. Talked about Skiing. Uh, It was a great, great class. Um, So much fun looking at Japan with my students. All right. So that's all I've got for you this week. Uh, Next week, we are off to Taiwan, which will be an interesting can of worms to get into with my students, right? Like, is Taiwan part of China? Like, is this, is Taiwan the real and legitimate China? Or is it part of the People's Republic of China? So. That's our topic for next week. Don't know what other fun stuff we'll end up delving into yet. Uh, what are we talking about on the podcast next week? I, I don't know yet. Um, and remember, if you want to find me, finding me is relatively easy. Of course, you can sign up for my classes on Alt School. Uh, You can also just email me at aroundtheworldwithmrclark at gmail.com. That's aroundtheworldwithmrclark at gmail.com. And by the way, that's just M R C L A R K around the world with M R C L R K around the world with Mr. Clark at gmail.com. I'm on Instagram. I love posting photos for my travels. Often we'll post things related to class on my Instagram at Clark Van. But seriously, I'm not that hard to find. If you're trying to find me and you're trying to get in touch with me, it's not that hard. Google me. You'll find me. All right. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.